I'm Jarrett Murphy from CityLimits.org. And this is Ben Max from Gotham Gazette. Representative Yvette Clark, welcome to Max and Murphy. How, how are you doing today? I'm well, all things considered, uh, and I'm glad to hear both of you and hear that you're well. Mm-hmm. Thank you, and, and thanks for joining us. Um, so uh, let's jump right in. You're, you're seeking re-election here for another term. You, you survived a tough challenge two years ago. Uh, you got a few people now who, uh, who are aiming to unseat you here. Uh, just give us your general, um, you know, you, you meet a voter uh, on the street and, and the voter says, oh, yeah, you're running for re-election again. What do you say to that voter in terms of why you deserve another term in Congress? Well, let me just say thank you for having me, and let me share with you what my experience is in the district. I was born and raised in this community and lived here all of my life in the Prospect Leopards area of of Brooklyn. And when I run into my constituents, uh, they're typically saying to me, thank you and, and keep up the good work. And when they ask me, you know, why they should vote for me, and so they know that the experience that they've been sending to Congress, uh, the leadership that I've obtained is working on their behalf, that uh, right now we are in crisis, and it's important that we have experienced leadership that they can rely on who's been there for them uh, throughout their tenure to be leading the charge to make sure that they are well taken care of, that we and uh, a healthcare infrastructure uh, worthy uh, and formidable enough uh, to, to combat uh, COVID-19, that we are looking out for their economic well-being during a time of, of real economic crisis and hardship in this community. And they know that my experience and my leadership will, will continue to grow from strength to strength as we fight this battle, not only on the ground here in Brooklyn, but in Washington, D.C., Talk a little more about that experience and leadership. How does that trickle down, if that's the verb to use, to people who are living in the Ninth District? Can you give an example of an area where you have, as you said, led the charge in Washington that has had a concrete effect on life in the Ninth? Or maybe you have more than one example. Absolutely. I think, you know, given my tenure, I'd have to say it's the fact that people will be able to be treated for COVID-19 because they have the Affordable Care Act and they're on, uh, you know, they are on the program. It is so very important that we understand, and I think the world knows now that uh, without our health, nothing else really matters. And we've seen uh, uh, just a tremendous toll taken on the people in the 9th District of New York going forward. We have to make sure that there's Medicare, Medicaid for all so that everyone has an opportunity to know their health status, that we can turn the corner on these health disparities that have just decimated families throughout the ninth District of New York um, and make sure that we have a 21st century health care system that will enable us to, 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 to live out our lives and leave for our children and grandchildren a much stronger, more vibrant, uh, resilient uh, community than the one that they inherited. And that, that's what I'm focused on right now. Spe- speaking of that and the crisis and the toll it's taken in, in your district, um, 
you know, isn't the fact that the the underlying health disparities and the and the challenges with access to good health care um, isn't all of that 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 sort of helped lay the foundation for COVID nineteen to be so devastating in certain communities and not as devastating in others? Isn't that somewhat of an indictment on on elected officials at all levels of government who represent the area, from the president to the governor to the mayor? to yourself, to the senators from New York, to the local, you know, representatives, uh, isn't, is, hasn't it been laid clear through this that sort of not enough was done about local health care, local access to um, resources? Um, isn't that sort of one of the takeaways from this crisis that we're seeing? It, 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 it is one of the takeaways. And let me say this, uh, you know, I have been focused on health care disparities ever since I was a councilman. And, it, you know, we've made incremental uh, changes to the way we dispense health care in our nation. And New York City has really led the way. There were a number of factors that came into being with respect to COVID-19, and it has to do with population density, redlining. It has to do with a whole host of things in terms of how our economic infrastructure <clears throat> is actually uh, constructed. We are seeing uh, in uh, densely populated areas like the 9th District of New York, you have a substantial number of people who are essential workers who live in very densely populated areas. And they're our lifeline right now. And the fact that you know we had an inept uh, administration that sat down with their feet up and made states compete against one another for life-saving equipment. This battle is with the Republicans. This battle is with individuals who can see the toll being taken on human life and make people harder for their lives. That, you know, at, at the end of the day, uh, you know, a pox on all our houses, but many of us were on the front lines fighting for this funding, making sure that we had all the data we needed to have in order to substantiate real funding for these areas. It must now be a priority, and it is in CARES, the CARES Act, too. Congresswoman, you know, we, we it's it's hard to look at someone's entire philosophy or career based on one vote, but it also is nice sometimes to talk about specifics. And I think your uh, chief opponent, Mr. Bancadeco, mentioned a few minutes ago a vote you took against a law that would have um, curtailed use of and restricted use of flavored tobacco products. And I believe that was because that cracked down on, on menthol flavoring, which is um, very popular among black Americans, and did not crack down on some forms of cigar use that are more common among whites. Talk to us about how you approach that vote and your philosophy in taking that no vote, because obviously smoking is one of the risk factors for COVID and so many other things, and, and those preconditions are more prominent in the black community. Yeah, and I noticed that my opponent didn't mention the fact that I did vote to raise the age uh, for which tobacco products are sold. However, let me say this. Uh, there was a lot of detail in that bill. 
And, you know, I believe in uh, real criminal justice reform. I believe in real social justice reform. I don't, uh, I don't play with uh, the inequities that people face and how they have been uh, tilted, particularly to communities of color. And when you criminalize and make contraband an addictive substance, uh, there's a lot of other implications in terms of criminal justice law. Our bill never uh, went to the Judiciary Committee for uh, a hearing. And as you may know, the Judiciary Committee is where criminal law is debated. And it would have been good for us to have a debate about this. Because as you can see, right now we're having issues with social distancing. No one talks about the fact that in black communities, you can barely step out your door without being in a crowd. And so I did not want to give another tool to law enforcement, quite frankly, that may have unintended consequences for communities that are over police. That's that's interesting. Um, as we're as we're talking about um, uh, your opponent, uh, Adem Bungadeko, who we spoke to earlier, and obviously this year you do have a couple others in the race as well. Um, I, I wanted to ask you to sort of look back and, and tell us and tell listeners and voters when you got challenged in 2018 and the result wound up being fairly close. Did you take any lessons from that? Did you did you make any changes coming out of that that you say, you know, uh, I, I won re-election and the voters got behind me in this Democratic primary, but it was fairly close. And, and that says something to me. And, and I'm going to I'm going to hear those voters and I'm going to you know make some changes. Was there, was there anything that you sort of took took away from that 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 has shifted over the last couple of years that folks should know about? Yeah, I, I think everything that you just mentioned and more, you know. Every election is unique. And while our community has been experiencing a lot of growth, many new residents, I thought it was important for me to continue to connect with the voters and to ensure that they are more acquainted with my work and the leadership on the issues that directly impact them. This election cycle, I'm in the majority. I have leadership in the House of Representatives as vice chair of the Energy and Commerce Committee. And because of my seniority, the fact that Democrats have the House, the Republican roadblocks that were basically like impeding our progressive policy agenda has been removed. This year we find, you know, ourselves in a crisis. COVID-19 has attacked our nation. And my district is bearing the brunt of that. It, it, you know, and, and so I'm very focused on the fact that there's housing insecurity right now, that there's severe economic instability right now, that there's inadequate access to quality health care right now. And I take it personally. It, having been born and raised in this district, I see the devastation. I feel the devastation. So now more than ever, I think it's important to have effective and proven leadership that's committed to helping our community on the ground here in Brooklyn and so, in Washington, D.C. in the halls of Congress. 
Say just a little bit more um, on the beginning of, of how you answered there about, you know, a lot of new residents in the district and, and you know, coming away from last election, sort of, um, you know, one of the takeaways was making sure that they're fo- more familiar with you and your work. Uh, say a little bit more about what you mean by that. Yeah, you know, uh, our community is going through a massive development um, spree. <laughs> Where, you know, there used to be a one-family wood-framed home with maybe eight residents. I now have apartment buildings with 80 residents. This is all the while happening while I'm traveling back and forth to Washington, D.C., trying to check in on all of the community organizations. There's a lot of new residents here. And they're not necessarily tied into every network and every event or activity that I'm engaged in. And it would be good. I'd love for them, hey, go and follow me at at Rep. Yvette Clark. Because, you know, I find myself in in real synchronicity with uh, the progressive movement in my district. Real synchronicity. I I came out of the progressive movement. And, you know, I, I hear a lot of people talking about progressivism, what they see, what they don't see. But no one takes the time to go and learn. You know, mm-hmm. I was born and raised in this district in an activist household. And so my passion for service is deeply rooted here. And that means that everyone who lives here has my attention, has the service of, of that office. It's their office. And I want them to know that. Congresswoman, housing is an issue we've talked about already several times in this interview, and we talk about a lot on this show. Uh, it's been a major issue of concern in your district and others in Brooklyn for a number of years. It's a focus of uh, your chief opponents. Has it been a focus of yours? Is that something that you would say looking at your career has been uh, a major uh, topic for legislation, for press releases, for advocacy uh, throughout the time you that know, you've been in Washington? I, I, find it, I find it amazing you know, when people co-opt other people's ideas. But let me just say this. Ever since I was a city council member, I've been engaged in housing. And if anyone looks up my record and looks up 320 Sterling Street, which is now a low-income condo, uh, will know my history with, with housing. When I was in the city council, we passed a predatory lending bill that I knew uh, had serious implications for homeowners in my district. And that bill was rebuffed by the then mayor. And so I pretty much knew that, you know, there needed to be some heavy lifting in the housing area in my community. And then the mortgage foreclosure crisis hit. Uh, the subprime lending crisis hit while I was a member of Congress in uh, my second term in office. And, you know, here on fire at that stage. And when you're in the minority, you know, there's a lot that you really, really want to do. But, you know, it's it's pretty partisan in Washington, D.C. with the Tea Party. Let me say this. I've introduced legislation, the hardest hit housing act, because Mm -hmm. I saw this crisis coming on. 
I introduced one of the most groundbreaking, earth-shaking bills, my AMI Home Act. I've done work on D-theft because, unfortunately, a lot of my neighbors are being set upon by individuals who, who are basically criminal in stealing their property. This is all public record. And so I would put up my housing credentials against all of the rhetoric that these individuals have because I've yet to see anything that they have done. Follow up. Follow up on that. Real, follow up on that. <laughs> follow up on that qu- quickly. If 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 the um, it, it, perhaps with a split Congress, uh, if you know the House is able to exercise more leverage, or perhaps um, you know if if let's just say the the Senate goes Democratic and uh, and your majority is able to to stay. Um, such after the next election here, uh, you get a Democratic president, let's say, for your district, what's the number one thing on housing that is, um, you know, sort of the top of your list that would be uh, really important for your constituents, do you think? What would be really important for my constituents right now are truly, is truly affordable housing. We know we're dealing with wage stagnation. And to be quite honest, during this COVID crisis, there are a whole host of things that are going to set many of my constituents back. Um, being ordered to stay home because of the crisis has created extreme economic hardship. So we're going to have to do things like uh, making, more, making more Section 8 available. We're going to have to do more around mortgage forbearance. I mean, there's a comprehensive package, and I've been working very closely with Chairwoman Maxine Waters and Chairman Lacey Clay, because I really want to move on the AMI piece. We can do development in Brooklyn without, uh, you know, outpricing the average New Yorker in order for them to find, uh, you know, appropriate housing. Affordable, mm. truly affordable housing. So, in a final question, Congresswoman, turn to the presidential race for a second. Uh, Vice, former Vice President Joe Biden, the presumptive Democratic nominee, one of his talking points is that he enjoys very broad support in the Black community, and you support, uh, you re- represent a district that is that is predominantly Black. Uh, do you think he can count on that broad support, and if so, why? And what do you say? to some black constituents, as I'm sure you must hear from some, that they are unsatisfied with the Democrats. They feel Democrats haven't delivered to them uh, over many, many decades. Do you encounter that argument? And what's your counter argument to that? No, I don't encounter the argument of uh, constituents in my district, black constituents saying that, uh, you know, Joe Biden hasn't, uh, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm trying to remember how you phrased it. Oh, just the question of uh, does Biden enjoy black support and do you ever encounter oh. blacks who feel the Democrats have not delivered on their promises to that community? Okay. Yeah, you know, I think that uh, our our voters are, are very astute. And uh, I've not seen uh, in mass an outcry uh, particularly because we just came out of the administration of President Barack Obama. And 
when you can now take your family uh, to get health care um, and you couldn't before, um, you kind of remember that. Um, and they remember that Joe Biden was President Barack Obama's um, vice president. So they know that he's acquainted with and has worked on the issues that impact their lives. What I think they're interested in knowing is how that will be shaped going forward. And I think that that's what Joe Biden will be revealing through his campaign. And at the end of the day, under no circumstances will black people in this district vote for Donald Trump. Hmm. And I, well, think I think that goes for the overwhelming majority of people who live in the ninth district of New York. Mm-hmm. Indeed, is one of one of the more democratic uh, districts, certainly in the in the state and the country. Uh, Representative Yvette Clark, we appreciate your time here with uh, with us on Max and Murphy, and good luck on the campaign trail, and uh, and be safe and healthy out there. Likewise, and thank you for having me, Max and Murphy. Thank you. <laughs> appreciate thank it. you. So, uh, so Jarrett, a couple interesting conversations with uh, one challenger to Representative Clark and then uh, the congresswoman herself. Uh, any thoughts on what we heard here today? Well, I am interested in hearing from some of the other candidates we've mentioned uh, at the top and throughout this conversation today, these conversations that there are other people on the ballot. And I'm interested in hearing their uh, their vision, too. Um, obviously, what what is difficult about a race for Congress is that you know, you are one of 100, 435 people. Uh, it does depend on whether your party is in the majority or not. It depends who's in the White House. So a lot of variables in terms of what people can deliver um, that I think uh, that Clark has has contended with and that whoever unseats her, if that is to occur, um, they'd have to deal with, too. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah. You know, it, it's going to be interesting to um, to also get even a better feel as we head towards voting of um, how the candidates are approaching the new reality of campaigning amid this crisis. Um, you know, I know some questions along those lines were on our list for today, but we couldn't get to everything. And, and you know, the sort of, um, you know, the nuts and bolts of, of campaigning is always interesting, but not necessarily as interesting as the issues and the policies and the, you know, voting record and things like that. So I am interested, you know, to look at more and hear more from candidates, whether it's for this seat or others, around how they've adjusted campaigning in this new reality it must be extremely frustrating for some of these candidates to not be able to get their volunteers out knocking doors and canvassing and they have to do it all digitally now or you know a little bit perhaps in person but that's you know mostly frowned upon these days um you know so it's 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 pretty interesting how this has really shaken everything up Absolutely. I mean, it must be hard and beautiful weather. That would be perfect time for some hand hand grabbing and uh, and baby kissing uh, not to be able to do that. Uh, but we'll be hearing more from candidates in this race and others uh, in coming weeks. And we hope if you like this show that you will support the station by calling 516-620-3602 or texting WBAI to 41444. You can support this show or if you give enough money, maybe they'll get uh, even better hosts than us. Uh, <laughs> reminder that tomorrow night on Driving Forces, our good friend Jeff Simmons will have Queens District Attorney Melinda Katz talking about uh, her approach to prosecuting or not prosecuting social distancing arrests and former Councilmember Raphael Espinal, now head of the Freelancers Union, talking about this pandemic's effect on freelance workers. Tomorrow night, Max and I will be, Max and Murphy will be hosting this uh, D15, this District 15 debate in the Bronx. Check City Limits or Gotham Gazette for details on that. Have a great week in the greatest city in the world.